This production contains material of a sensitive nature, including descriptions of abuse and other forms of violence, which may be triggering for some individuals. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Where do we turn when we don't know which way to turn? When the unimaginable occurs, how do we even begin to imagine a future for ourselves and those we love, much less summon the courage and resilience to move forward into the remainder of our lives? As the psalmist puts it, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? On the 14th of March, 2017, Felicia Marshall's daughter Lexi was stalked and murdered shot with an AK-47, killed by a bullet that passed through her heart. Out of the ashes of that devastating experience, Felicia has grown a beautiful work of loving, serving, and caring for families with similar trauma. This is the story of a mother's love, the story of how a broken heart became a generous heart, brimming with compassion for others facing similar loss and grief. The story of how our deepest, most painful wounds can become gifts of healing and wholeness for the world. This is the story of Grant Me Justice. Felicia, it is so good to be here with you today. I've said a little about the work you do with Grant Me Justice, through Grant Me Justice. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that? I think that the Lord prepared me for, for Grant Me Justice. And I don't think that I would be able to serve families well had I not experienced it myself. Um, this has to be a work I feel like ordained by the Lord because I can't do this on my own. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday that was saying this is a really, really heavy work that you do. How are you able to do this? And my um, response to her was, I can't do this by myself. It has to be the Lord's doing. Hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot as we've talked together and written together and, and, and just worked together on, on a number of projects um, about how you manage to stay kind of level and centered um, when you're not only carrying your own traumatic experience, but also experiencing others' trauma secondhand. Um, and with that in mind, can you tell us a little about what Grant Me Justice means to you? Um, Grant Me Justice is everything to me. Um, it's why I wake up in the morning. Mm. It's why I lay down at night. It's why I fight for my families or the families that I serve. It's why I'm angry when there are injustices. It's why I cry through meetings um, that don't get what I do. Um, Grammy Justice is uh, my life work. I think that the Lord knew what he was doing um, when he called me to it. And I wouldn't rather be doing anything else but Grammy Justice. Yeah. Where does the where does the phrase come from? Um, Grammy Justice comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, where the widow goes before the unjust judge seeking justice for her family. I mean, for her. This is a 
parable? The parable okay. in the Bible. And it doesn't say specifically what type of justice she was seeking. But for me, uh, I felt myself going before the judge over and over and over and over again. And I felt like this parable fit me and my situation and so many other families. And so Grant Me Justice is, is where we got that from. All right. So we often talk about where we were when major historical events take place. Um, catastrophes. We talk about where we were the day Dr. King was assassinated or on 9-11 or when Hurricane Katrina makes landfall and the levees fail. But those tragedies are all public and they're very frightening but they also offer a shared experience in a way that tends to bring people together. Um, I think that sense of community has a way of offsetting the terror and trauma to some extent. Murder uh, is different. Right? It's not a public event. Um, it'd be difficult to imagine a more destabilizing event than the murder of a beloved child. Um, but the experience has a way of kind of doing the opposite of what those big historical events do. It tends to isolate us and make us feel alone. Um, you talk about that in your book. Um, how isolating that, that experience was, how alone you felt. You used the image of a red umbrella and a sea of black umbrellas. Um, we're going to get into the details of your story in future episodes, but I wonder if you could say something just about that feeling, that sense of isolation and aloneness. Um, during the time that Lexi was murdered, um, I felt like I was the only one that could feel what I was feeling. I don't think I could even put words to what it felt like. Mm. And I don't think uh, isolation in regards to murder and death is just a one-time event. I think on the anniversary date on March 14th, every year I feel isolated. Mm. On her birthdays, I feel isolated. On um, When there are family events, I feel isolated. When at night, I think I hear her voice, I feel isolated. Um, the death of Lexi was like um, no feeling I've ever felt and it was foreign to me. And to be honest with you, I never thought that I would feel this way. I never thought I would have to feel this way. Um, I never in a million years could have imagined murder being a part of my story. Mm. It felt like um, and then in the book, I talk about choked and being kicked in the stomach all at the same time. And at the same time, I don't think those words really describe what it feels like um, to lose a loved one in this way. When we talk about those events, when, when, if I tell the story about where I was when the levees broke, um, I'm telling that in the context of inviting somebody else to tell me where they were when the levees broke. Um, and so we're kind of, we see ourselves as part of a larger story of Hurricane Katrina. Um, but in your story, when you tell the story, it's the story of being very much alone in that and feeling alone in that. Um, even in the parable that we referenced, that's a story of a widow who goes alone before the judge and, and, and is very much alone in that. So I think... One, one way to frame what Grammy Justice is is bringing people, bringing stories together 
and, and you kind of you've said something about that initially. Um, but a, a related question I have um, is how you get from that desolation of loss to the generosity of love that says, I want to move out of my own isolated story toward other people who have similar stories so that maybe we could see this as a, a shared experience. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about how you made that move, how the organization Grant Me Justice came to be? It wasn't just, um, I just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do this thing. It took some time. Mm -hmm. It took time for me to grieve and time for me to um, get over the shock of losing Lexi. It took time going through the criminal justice system. It took time for me to stop being angry with God. It just took a lot of time. And um, it took a lot of, I think, um, some deep, hard conversations that I had to have with the Lord. Mm. And I think that even took time because initially I couldn't even say anything to the Lord. I couldn't pray. I didn't want to read scripture. I was angry with the Lord because I felt like he's sovereign. I knew him to be sovereign and knew him to be in control and having to, the ability to stop it, but he didn't. And so it took time. It took time for me to move from being angry to having a heart of compassion. And I think part of that took the Lord just showing me really who he I don't think I really knew who God was mm -hmm. until I experienced this. I had been a Christian since 1999, uh, taught um, Sunday school uh, and some other things that you guys read about in the book. Um, but I don't really think I knew God until I was able to experience this deep, dark part of my life. And um, I think it took me being angry with the Lord in order for the Lord to really show me who he is and to um, teach me about grace and love and what agape love really is. It took me going through the criminal justice system, looking across the, the um, other side of the table at the persons that were responsible for killing my child. And with that, you know, learning, the Lord showing me that his grace is e even for the murderer of my child. Mm. And um, so that moved, I think my, my renewed relationship with who God really is moved me from one aspect of Lexi's murder to grant me justice that, that I serve in every day now. Yeah. That, that gives me a good picture of kind of what's going on inside you and that internal sense. You said you feel like this is, I don't know if you use these exact words, but, but kind of a sense of your life's work or purpose, like your reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Um, at some point, though, you make a transition from feeling called to do this work to actually doing it, which means reaching out to others, families, mothers with, with this experience. So um, I guess that would be kind of like an external sense of like confirmation in the calling. So um, is there part of that story that you could bring us into? Like, how did you get from just feeling burdened to care for other people to actually moving toward them and putting out calls? and? inviting them to tell their stories? I actually started um, serving and uh, one of my friends 
um, is the executive director for a domestic um, violence organization. And I actually started attending her mm -hmm. workshops and listening to the stories of domestic violence victims. And those um, stories had an impact on me. And um, just one day, just randomly, she said, I want you to tell your story. Mm. And um, me telling my story meant me telling um, the stories of my family, um, generational abuse that occurs in my family, has occurred in my family. But that moved me to telling Lexi's story as well. And that telling the story, and you know, I would often go to her events and tell the story, um, help with my healing process and I knew that other families that had experienced the same thing um, needed to tell their stories as well aside from the uh, the part that when I went to tell my story I wanted people to know who Lexi was I didn't want them to remember number 14 mm -hmm. I wanted them to know that her name was Alexia K. Buckhalter and I wanted them to know every aspect of who, who she was to me the fact that she loved um, LSU basketball, that she loved the purple and the gold, and she was an avid drummer. Um, she played basketball, was a great three-point shooter. She loved lima beans and rice. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted people to know who she was. And I felt like the public, the general public, needed to know that our kids are not just statistics, that they are children and they mean something to us. And I didn't want people to forget because I think other people go on to live their lives in whatever part of the world that they are living in. And we're st still left with this huge hole in our hearts that can't be filled. Mm -hmm. But I wanted people to know why we have the hole in our heart. And I wanted people to know who our children were. Yeah, I hear that painful awareness that in the larger society, um, Folks, we, I'll include myself in that, often reduce victims of murder um, and other, you know, well, murder to statistics and numbers. Um, and what you're interested in doing um, as a kind of foundational principle is moving from numbers to names. Yes. Restoring that, moving from statistics to stories. And so telling the story of who Lexi is, she's not just a number. In fact, she's not even number 14. Mm -hmm. She's number 33, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the, did I get that right? And that was her basketball number because she had this deep passion for basketball mm -hmm. and she was good at it. Yes. And she loved lima beans and she, <laughs> you know, and she grew up dancing and yes. she did all the things, right? And so um, all those things that go into making up who she is, she's so much more than somebody who, than how she ended. Yes, and I didn't just want to bring awareness to because I think um, the difference between Grant Me Justice and Butterflies by Grace Defined by Faith mm -hmm. is they want to bring an awareness mm -hmm. to domestic violence. This to me is a deep, deeper than that. It's mm -hmm. a different, a whole different, yeah. uh, I think it, you know, in some ways, you know, we kind of blend, but there's, this is different. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just bring awareness to murder because I think we are aware that there's murder but I wanted to bring I wanted people to remember because people forget um, I, you know I think I, I mentioned 
that you know people go back to their own lives once the barrier is is done mm -hmm. then people just go back and i think there's um, a misconception that we can just go on with life after the burial mm -hmm. but we're still grieving so many aspects of that child's life we're, we're grieving number 33 we're grieving uh, all of the purple and gold around the house. We're, we're grieving going to basketball games. We're grieving all the different aspects and layers of who Lexi B was. And not only that, she's missing at my table. She's missing at my house. Mm -hmm. She's missing at events. Um, and so I just wanted people to remember. I didn't want people to, to forget anything about Lexi B. I wanted them to know who she was. Yeah, that, that's very helpful, and I didn't, by the way, I didn't mean to like conflate those two. I just was trying to trace the progression of how Grant Me Justice came to be in your story. So um, so there's another step still that we hadn't gotten to, right? And yeah. that is, that's, you're kind of moving from a grieving process and navigating the criminal justice system, the so-called criminal justice system, which we'll talk about more um, later, but at some point you're actually engaging families and, and creating a community, an organization that you're calling Grant Me Justice. Um, how, what does that next step look like? Well, almost three years to the date, we completed what is considered criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And um, I walked away from that three year sentence of my life, I call it a sentence. Mm -hmm. um, I had to live the details of Lexi's life over and over and over again for three years and didn't really have an opportunity to celebrate her life. And so I walked away from that. Um, I felt like I had been raped by the system. Um, I felt like the state of Mississippi did a horrible job of representing me. And um, But in that, I also felt like there were other families that probably felt the same way that I felt. And I felt like um, I needed to find those families, whoever they were. Uh, and I wanted to hear the stories. And initially, Grant Me Justice was just about telling stories. Mm. I had no experience with interviewing anybody, but that, that was my plan, uh, to interview people and uh, get the stories told. It, it would be just, in my mind at least, it would just be like two mothers sitting, having tea, talking about our losses mm. and celebrating our children together. So that was the desire, was to just have open conversation about um, children being murdered. And I say children, but you know, most of these are adults, but they are, they're still, Lex is still my little girl to me. So mm. you'll hear me say children all the time. But anyway, um, my desire was to just find these families, whoever they were, and get the story told. And I put out a call on Facebook asking for anybody that um, had someone that was lost to murder, um, to, um, to, if they wanted to tell their story, to, to let me know. And the first person that I was able to get scheduled was um, the Abram family. Uh, Stephen and Alice Abram were the first ones. They were actually not in Jackson. They were actually in my hometown, which is uh, Jefferson Davis County, Apprentice, Mississippi. And um, I actually knew um, Alice, but I had no idea that she had lost someone to violence. 
and um, I had someone called up someone who agreed uh, to do the work with me pro bono because I didn't have a coin mm -hmm. <laughs> to do uh, the work for me uh, pro bono and we went traveled to Prentice and the Abram family welcomed us in uh, I told them what my desire was they didn't question my motive and and uh, welcome us in and and allow themselves to undress undress in front of us and they changed my life i knew when i left the abrams um home when we left the cemetery that grammy justice was much more than just telling stories that it would be in ministry yeah so you mentioned this, this uh, you know, kind of helper who comes into the process with you. Um, I'm not sure if you said, but, but I happen to know that this was a kind of a recorder, videographer person, um, sort of professional, that's right. Um, and so my, my qu one question I have is why was it important to you to document this and record it that way, as opposed to just going and sitting with the families and, and listening? I wanted it to be well done. I did not know what I would do with it, but I wanted it to be well done. And um, I, I felt like that I could get enough stories together that maybe a filmmaker would pick it up. Um, at least that was the idea initially. But I've always, I didn't want it to just be crappy work. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be work that people would be able to see. I wanted it to be of good quality. And then I wanted to honor and respect the, the families. Yeah. Uh, that has always been important to me. So tell us a little bit about, you said, and you also described yourself as inexperienced. You don't have any experience doing interviews. Um, and you enter this space and they're welcoming to you. And they, but what was it like to, what was that first interview like? Or what, what was there, what was it like to sit with them in there? in their story of grief? It was confirming mm -hmm. when I got there that I was not nervous mm -hmm. at all. Our interview flowed well. Um, even the videographer uh, told us that it seemed like it was something that we had been, that I had been doing a long time. Mm -hmm. The only suggestion he made was me stop saying, mm, like <laughs> I normally do, it's just part of my talking. It was, um, I knew that it wasn't my own power that was doing it, if that makes sense, because I don't watch any movies that have, I can't stand to see blood. I can't stand to watch movies that have violence in them. That has always been the case. But this, I could talk with this mother and them give me all of the details of what happened to Tomas and I not fall apart. Mm. I was able to weep with her, um, empathize and sympathize with her, but it was um, a very, very good interview. When I mean by good, I mean the quality of the work that was done. So bring us into that. Where do you, where are y'all meeting? What is she saying? How, how does that interview go? We met at their church um, in Prentice and um, they welcomed me in and Miss um, Abram was the one that spoke first. I gave both of them an opportunity to speak if they wanted. Mr. Stephen was a little reserved initially, um, but Miss um, Abram was the one that spoke first. 
And Ms. Abram kind of danced between present tense and past tense, as we all do when we're talking about our kids. Um, because it's hard, even for me, after seven years, uh, really accepting the fact that Lexi is gone. And she talked about Tomas, she talked about his dimples, she talked about how he walked in the room, and she talked about his love of, of baseball, and that he was an entrepreneur, and he was benevolent in the community, and he was handsome and charismatic, and all these things she explained about Tomas. And he was um, a young man that was violently murdered um, in a small community, rural community, um, he was shot uh, twice in the head and left in a vehicle. Um, his dad, Mr. Stephen, was the one that actually found him. And Mr. Stephen tells the story of going to the truck, finding his son, and although he knew he was dead, um, gets him out of the truck, put him in his vehicle, drive him to the um, hospital, and says that he talks to him the entire way. Ms. Abram is about an hour away, and, and the daughters knew what had happened to Tomas, but they wanted to keep it a secret until they made it to the hospital. And uh, Abram, Ms. Abram was saying she couldn't understand why the kids were just falling apart, the daughters were falling apart, because she felt like whatever was wrong with Tomas could be fixed. And once she gets to the hospital, uh, Mr. Stephen is drenched in blood, and he had to, has to break the news that Tomas had been murdered. And according to Ms. Um, Abrams' testimony, she just collapsed. Um, I can't imagine the damage that was left by two bullet wounds to the head. I just can't imagine that. And um, how devastating that must have been for the both of them. Um, we left, and once we finished the interview at the church, we actually went to the cemetery. And um, the, the couple held hands as they walked to Tomas's grave. And Tomas's grave is uh, adorned with flowers. It looks like fresh flowers and well kept. And um, Mr. Abram says that he goes there on a regular basis and just goes out there and talks to his son. And um, to see them weep and hold hands together uh, just did something. Um, it changed. Um, everything about what I thought Grant Me Justice would be uh, because I could feel the devastation even though you know I felt like Lexi's uh, murder was devastation this was uh, was devastating this was different mm -hmm. and um, I knew that Grant Me Justice would be much more than just telling stories I knew when I got in my car and left the Abrams, that it would be much more than just telling a story. Say something about that more. What are some of the other things you do besides providing that safe and supportive space for people to engage their stories and to listen to others with similar stories? So Grammy Justice has three components. Uh, one component is advocacy. Our desires are always advocate on behalf of the victim because the, you know, we think that when we walk into a courtroom, many of us have never been in the courtroom before. I had never been in the courtroom before. I didn't even know what the inside of the courtroom looked like. <laughs> and so many of us walk into the courtroom thinking that as the victim, 
that the court system is going to work and act on our behalf. And that's totally wrong. You know, you find out later that the entire court system is actually um, centered around the defendant. And oftentimes, the, the voice of the victim is never heard. That's the reason why it's grant me justice, the voice for the victim, mm -hmm. is because we want to advocate for the victim. We want the victim to be heard. We want people to know what justice looks like for us. For some, it may be life in prison. For some, some it may be, um, I don't know, it may be execution. Uh, but I think it's important for the court to at least listen mm. and ask us or take into account how we feel. And I think that's overlooked. So advocacy, uh, of course, um, we do direct support, which is could be anything from uh, counseling to um, paying a light bill to buying a set of tires uh, to even rent. Um, if you can imagine a family whose life is chaotic and then you pile onto that chaotic life a murder mm. and you pile onto that chaotic life a criminal justice system and everything that that entails, you pile onto that grief and um, all of the heaviness of that, um, you have to be able to, or someone I think, uh, needs to recognize the fact that uh, if you pile all those things on there, your life cannot be the same. And so we want to be the safe place for a victim of, of homicide. We want to be the place where a victim can come, that can be loved on, hugged on. And also, if there is a need to be met, we want to be that place that's able to find and meet those needs. And then the third thing um, that we do is we want to tell the story. We want people um, to know who these families are and that's what we do so i hear just to maybe kind of summarize that i mean i feel like the i've heard this frame this way that we're humans are storytelling beings we're also story dwelling beings and it sounds like the the storytelling aspect brings you into the space where you can dwell with people in their stories and the pain of their stories um in a recent book, the poet and essayist Ross Gay introduces um, the idea of joining our wildernesses. Um, that's the idea that each of us has a wilderness inside us, that the body, I'm quoting now, that the body, the life might carry a wilderness, an unexplored territory, and that yours and mine might somewhere, somehow meet, might even join. Ross goes on to say that, or to suggest that wilderness that the wilderness is our sorrow, that sorrow is the true wild. And then he asks again, what if we joined our sorrows? And he goes on to conclude, what if that's joy? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say it outright, but my idea is that the only way we can join those sorrows, join that wilderness, those wildernesses is by telling our stories and dwelling together in our stories. So I'm just curious to hear where that takes you or how you'd respond to that idea that sorrow is a kind of wilderness we carry and that joining those wildernesses might be a kind of joy. I think um, when I stepped into Grant Me Justice and everything that Grant Me Justice is, I had no idea um, what it would be, what it would look like, mm -hmm. the result of just saying yes to the Lord. 
And um, when I look at Grant Me Justice holistically and I look at individual families and how you start with one family and how over the years you've been able to sit with and pour into and they pour into you. And when um, you see all of us together and all of us have our different traumatic experience, but when a new, a new family comes in, when you see all of those families drop their issue, whatever it is, and they just embrace the new one, it's a beautiful thing to see. And it's a prime example of that was our last meeting. We had families there already. We had a family that show up, this mother that show up, that has lost three sons to murder. And when she walked in and introduced herself and says, my name is Miss Hackett and I've lost three sons to murder, everyone else just weeps through her pain, you know. Um, it's a part of what we do. It's a part of being, I think, in a room with someone that gets it as a mother they get some of what uh, you feel. It's not the same because all of our children are different, but it's, it's something about, um, it's something magnetic and magnificent, I think, mm. about being in a room full of people that get it. Um, and I wouldn't have that any other way. It's just hard to explain. It's hard to explain when you see a mother that come in, and I'm gonna use this for an example, Miss Redmond who lost her child to sex trafficking. Uh, she actually heard her daughter being executed. And when she found her daughter, um, she was only able to find the bones. When Miss when, um, Redmond is introduced to Grant Me Justice, she's very reserved, doesn't talk much, um, doesn't come to a whole lot of events, just one every now and then. And then now when you see her a couple of years later, She's um, involved, she's coming to every meeting, she's participating, she's even working. And when you just see the progress that's being made from just being a part of something bigger than us, it's a beautiful thing to see and it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, it's something about being together. Yeah, I think it's hard to explain because it's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And, and I, this is not an original idea to me, but I, I've thought a lot about how this idea that our wounds can become our gifts to others and to the world, um, and that giving those as a gift, like meeting other people in their place of pain, can actually aid in our own healing, and that that's, that's at least part of that joy, I think. Um, so we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to ask you two more questions. Maybe if I think of a third, I'll ask it, but I think I have two. If someone who lost a family member to violence saw us wearing these t-shirts just uh, never heard of grant me justice and asked uh, why they should get involved with grant me justice um and you knew you didn't have you know you're just in line at the coffee shop or something how would you respond what would be your 30 second answer i would say because we need you mm. and i would also say is you need us mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can, we can live in a world where we're not cognizant of what's going on around us. 
And I think people need to see what our experience, what a family that has lost violence, lost uh, someone to violence looks like. And I think there's a, a misconception about who we are and I think people just need to sit down and have a conversation with us so that they can really know what this feels like. That's good. What's the one thing you wished you'd known from the beginning of the process of figuring out how to navigate the so-called criminal justice system even as you were still in, very much in the process of mourning Lexi's death? I wish I had known that the state of Mississippi doesn't represent me. If I had known, th known that, I think I would have went in with a different perception. Mm. And I wouldn't have gone, I would have gone in fighting. Um, I don't think I initially went in fighting because I thought somebody was fighting for me. And I didn't learn until too late that no one is fighting for me. No one is fighting for Lexi. And um, so initially going in, if I had just known that you don't represent me, um, I think I would have handled the case um, a whole lot differently. I think I would have, the first meeting, as chaotic as that was, I would have handled that a whole lot differently. Yeah. I think I would have lawyered up. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had the right to. But had I known that, I think I would have. Is there anything else you'd like to add as we close? I would like to add that um, Grammy Justice is doing a great work. Mm. And I think it's important for people um, to get involved. I think it's important for people when they hear on the television station that someone has lost someone to murder, that they don't dismiss it. That they know that that person is attached to a lot of people and that they should care. Because it's, it's very likely or it could be, there's a possibility that this could come to your door. You don't have to be African-American. You don't have to be a black male. I mean, you, I mean, you just don't you, don't, you don't have to live in my world. This could easily come to your door. And so I just think it's important for people to not dismiss murder. Hmm. Wendell Berry writes that when we no longer know which way to go, we've come to our real journey. Thank you for your time and attention for honoring us with that way. Uh, and we invite you to join us next week as we plunge headlong into the story of Felicia's journey with loss and the pursuit of justice. Today's podcast was brought to you by Genesis Bank, whose mission is to provide thoughtful financial advice and helpful financial solutions to every customer they serve. To learn more, visit them on the web at genesis.bank.